This message is brought to you by Heartland Family Fellowships. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. We thank you for listening in on our podcast and hope that the Lord does bless you as you listen today. The title of our message this morning is Creation of Man. This is the first part of our series on biblical manhood. First of all, I want to welcome all of our online listeners. Um, I particularly welcome the the new pastors and ministry leaders who have networked into our podcast this morning. And we also want to thank all of you for joining us this morning. And I have a question to start us out. Why did God create man before woman? It's tempting to use this topic to be politically correct, but since those of you who know me, that doesn't work very well with me. Politics actually is a Roman or Greek word that means establishment of policies. And I think the book that we are reading right now is probably the best policy book known to eternity. So why? Seriously, why did God create Adam first? It's because men are better, right? Well, that is the fight that's in the world today. If you think that this story is over and it's old-fashioned, then you don't know your Bible. This is the war that is going on in the world to this very hour. Is There are people attempting to answer the question that I put out to you by making use of women have just as many leadership, uh, creation, um, what's the word I'm hunting for, entitlement or capabilities as men do. Well, I'm here to tell you they actually have more than men in certain areas of life. And without the two of them working together, you simply do not have the fullness of the creation of the us. So, someone very quickly walk us through how this, this happened. The, all of, all of, pretty much all of creation was put into place, and then on what day did God decide to create man? The sixth day. Well, what is so significant significant about the number six? Seven's the perfect number. Seven also is interpreted out and translated out in Hebrew as rest. So whenever you hear the number seven, you're supposed to be resting. The work is done. It's ceased. The full exchange life has been appropriated by God on the seventh day. There is no work. There is appropriation of the work that has already been done. So six is what? Huh? The number six translates out as falling short. It's the number of man. It means you're not quite there. 
the definition of sin in the Old Testament and the New Testament is to fall short of the mark. So God created Adam actually to fall short of completion. Now the woman was created or was she something else? She was fashioned or formed. Now that is absolutely very, very important as we start to look at the uh, Genesis. Eve was not created. Adam was created. And Adam was actually created outside of the garden. He was not created inside the garden. The garden was done. It was completed. But Adam was not created in this beautiful, perfect garden. He was actually created from a fistful of dirt outside of the garden and God took this fistful of dirt and he breathed life into this dirt through breath which is the same Hebrew word that's used for spirit. So he breathed a spirit into the living into the dirt which was living actually and from that Adam was created. Now here he is, this created being that is outside of the garden. And, you know, whether he's moments old or days old, uh, we don't know when God decided to put him in the garden to work it. That is not as important as the fact that he was actually created from dirt and then he was put into the garden to work it. That piece is very, very important. In the Hebrew and also in the Greek, whatever comes first is granted authority. Whatever is first is automatically granted authority. So if you have a king who has put his spear in the sand that says, I was here first, it's his land. All of America was established on that principle. You've heard of stating a claim or claim jumpers? What you, put your, what you put your spear into and write your name on that little, that little uh, piece of fabric at the top of your stick, it says, I, I now own this because there's no one to buy it from. And that's exactly what God does through creation. Is he creates Adam in first place when it comes to creation of man meaning mankind so he gets in first place now he could have put well he could have done a couple different things one he could have picked up a fistful of dirt and this is where we get the Greek term equality it is taking what we're actually saying in equality is God took a fistful of dirt and a fistful of dirt, he blew spirit into this hand and formed Adam, and blew spirit into this hand and formed Eve. And then he married them. That's equality. That is equality in creation. That is not what he did. Nor does any part of God's heaven function in this manner. It always functions in positions of headship all the way down to the earthlings. 
The planet structure is literally set up under this same domain of what's important, what's most important. What you saw earlier in regard to that video clip is that if the scriptures are true, that the hill where the Dome of the Rock is right now, inside that building is a rock. And that rock is being claimed by two primary brothers as being the seat of the Holy One. The Holy of Holies. Ishmael's descendants of Muslims are claiming it is their seat. And the Jews are claiming it is their seat for the Holy One. The Jews, the Orthodox Jews, also believe that upon that hill that is presently being dominated by the Ishmael uh, descendants say that in their doctrines, go check it out yourself, say that on this hill was the tree of life. I happen to be a Gentile that believes in that. That on that particular hill is where the tree of life was and spiritually still is. And that's why in the book of Revelation and Ezekiel and Daniel, when you read that and study it, you realize that everything is going to focus back around that hill. When the earth has its big earthquake, all these little rumbles that you're hearing about, and I know the last two threw the axis of the earth off, to where the North Pole has moved 19 feet. That's nothing compared to the earthquake that's talked about in Revelation that literally splits Israel into three parts. One of those parts happens to be where the new tree of life is going to be established. See, all this is not accident. Nothing is accidental about God creating Adam and putting him in this garden to work the garden until he came to this point of realizing it's not good for man to be alone. Adam actually became the very first piece of God's creation that was incomplete. Six. So, the 666 that you hear from rock music to prophecy foretellers to even the responsible theologians, those three sixes are absolutely critical in the end times and that's why it's called the mark of the beast, which we'll get into down the road of how all of creation of man literally sets up for this 666, the trinity of man. It's not the trinity of Satan. It's the trinity of man. And when though that trinity starts to become powerful, which, yes, Satan supercharges, but when those sixes become supercharged and have full-on control of the complete earth is what provokes Christ to come back as the seven. And he'll do it in a very resting position. He won't be anxious. He'll have fire in his eyes and a drawn sword, but he won't be anxious. He'll be anxious for nothing because he already knows victory has already 
occurred. And that makes a warrior very restful. Brings life back to his face. Even though you're in warrior mode. So in 126 it says, let us, this is God speaking here, let us, who's the us by the way? Is it the dogs and the, the dinosaurs and the, all these things that have been created so far? What, what's the us? The Trinity of the Seven. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The perfect number is seven for God. So the us, let the Trinity make man in our image. Well, that means, what does God look like? What does the Son look like? What does the Holy Spirit look like? Do you realize that God is, is now unfolding the theology of man and woman? He is unfolding the three primary roles that are within life. You have a father figure and you have a husband figure and you have a woman figure. Someone tell me how many names the Holy Spirit has. Huh? Two, one. Zero. Now some liberal theologians would say, no, that's not true. I know of eight. Counselor, comforter, caretaker, nurturer, all of those are adjectives describing action responsible under the care of the Holy Spirit. The reason why the Holy, that women do not have any names anywhere in the world today is because the Holy Spirit has no name. Do you understand the importance of this? So for a woman to actually prove that she is, which cannot be done because it is a lie, prove that she's a fistful of dirt and she can be her on her own, she would have to lie to herself to think that there's power in the name she establishes so she has to go to court and sue for a name to get that name so she can call herself her dad's name. And the point? So you sue for another male name. Okay. It can't be done. There's no laws in any country in the world that allows it. But there's a new movement of this war that we're talking about here of a fistful of dirt and a fistful of dirt saying we are equal. No. We are not. There's not one better than the other. We're from one fistful of dirt. This our image thing is absolutely critical because people are born worshiping images. We put them on walls. We like pictures that have images of religious influence. Or not. We love images. We think in images. We talk in images. We create pictures with words because they come from pictures. 
We are created in image. You don't think in words. Some intellectuals think that they do. Well, they're deceived. You think in pictures. You do not think in dictionaries. That's why every person in the world, whether they know how to read or not read, they can think. Because they think in pictures. Because we are designed by God in imagery. And Satan goes, oh, I can have fun with this one after I invent the mirror. I'm going to have fun with this one. So, man is created in God's image. Man, Adam, was able to stand in front of a mirror, which was water back then, and go, that's God. No, I'm not really God. But I'm created in his image. So for me to know what God looks like, I can stand in a pool of water and go, I can see God. Because he made me. Creator. What comes from the hand. It's, it's, it's him. I, I'm, I'm, I'm in his image. Eve, come here. Come check this out. You're in the image of the Holy Spirit. Part of the us. And she looks into the water and sees this image. She's like, wow. Holy Spirit's pretty beautiful. Yeah. You're telling me. They are discovering God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit by looking into their own reflection. That is powerful. So what does Satan want to do? He wants you to get and stand in front of a mirror and go, oh, ugh, I got to lose some of that. I got to trim some of that. I got to buff that out. I got to facelift it. I got to put some more plastic in. I got to take some of it out. Whatever. It's an insult to the face of God. And when someone tries to function in a role that is not their role, it is an insult to the face of God. Not even mentioning the Holy Spirit will stop working in your life. Not leave you or forsake you. It just goes into number seven. Then I won't work. And you can stay a Christian all your whole life and act like an unbeliever. Because the Holy Spirit went, and they're just the Holy Spirit's just silent. This is huge. I'm telling you, it is absolutely massive. You want to be a big mass, Jess, when it comes to this. With my new phone, I've got this speak and text thing. And so I was sending Jess a text. And what was the text I sent you? Jessica, you are a glorified mess. <laughs> and it came out as, Jessica, you are a glorified mass. <laughs> she said, you better check your, your text messaging before you send them and maybe insulting people. According to our likeness, 
and let them rule over the fish and of the sea and over the birds and the sky and the cattle and over the earth and over every creepy thing. Oh, creeping. There's some creepy ones. <laughs> that creeps on the earth. Now there's an authority position given. Whatever is on the earth, I grant you authority over. So Adam is created. He's given this little talk. Here's your responsibility. And then he places him over into the garden and he starts doing the work. And then all of a sudden he realizes, um, I'm, I'm a number six here. I'm incomplete. I'm falling short. I need a helpmate. So what he does is God lays him down for a nap and he reaches in and he takes a rib from Adam's side and he forms, not creates. He forms from existing DNA. He forms from existing life. And he forms this woman from Adam, which puts her in second place, authority-wise. Not as a part secondary in, in, in God's creation. <coughs> Adam was created. She was taken and formed to actually go back under his side to complete him. So Satan comes along and goes, oh, got that one figured out. I'm going to make her feel short-sheeted. That she's got to be her own fist of dirt. And, and she will not run to his side and help him complete his journey. Help him complete his life. Help him complete his living. Most men, if not all men, act half or function on half of the cylinders that God gave them because their woman refuses to complete him. Men are short-sheeted without women. Period. They cannot function without women. That's why there's affairs. That's why there's adultery. They cannot function without women. Unless you're a guy like Paul who is just completely consumed by the Holy Spirit. Who is the female side or perspective of God? Of the us. Paul could not function without the influence of the Holy Spirit. We can't. We are not complete. We are not able to function on all cylinders without our wives. And if you're not married, it's usually mommy. He created them male and female, and he blessed them, named them man, and every day when they were, were created, when Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son of his own likeness. Do you see the parallel that's being painted for us here? Now he takes on the third element of the Trinity. Now he has a son in his own likeness. Adam was able to look into the pool of water and see the likeness of God. Now, it's not too big of a duh at this point. Why well, I, I look like God? 
Well, you look like me. It's done. So Satan comes along and goes, hmm, to get a son to run from his father, that would be the plan. What's the last verse in the Old Testament? There will come a day when he will restore the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to their fathers. At least I come and smite your land with a curse. Abba, Adam, Seth. Where did the, f the first war start? Someone tell me. Abba, Adam, Satan came along and detached Adam from the belly of God, which is where we get the term rebellion, detached from the belly, which is where we get the Latin word rebellion. It is detachment from the belly of God, the nutrients. Second battle. Now that Adam is detached from God, he wasn't finished. He needed to get Adam to be detached from his son. So we had Cain and Abel. How'd that story turn out, by the way? Satan comes in, he starts putting thoughts and temptations into to Cain's mind as your dad thinks that Abel's better than you and God thinks he's better than you. And all this divisiveness started entering into Cain's mind. It started to get to him. And whenever something gets to you, you become a murderer. Do you realize that three-fourths of the term murder in the Bible is not referring to physically putting someone to death. It means termination of life form. Relationship. Get out. You're gone. Divorce. Get out. You're gone. A rebellious son. Get out. You're gone. You see, that's what happened to Cain. He became a murderer. And God the Father said, Get out. You're gone. And he was removed from that family. Why? To preserve Abba, Adam, and now Seth. And that is where the first rural community was formed. First city was formed from Cain. Now you have the two primary forms of living in culture. Rural and city. Where does sin multiply the fastest? City. Is there sin inside rural? Well, of course there is. There's just not as so many human bodies for it to multiply. So one of the primary goals of the enemy is to multiply cities, to, to create, not create because he can't create, but to form this massive movement of rural kids wanting to feel like city kids and have the accessibility to city stuff in a rural community. You see, his plan is really not that complicated. 
and it works. It's worked since this first generation, and it works in this present generation. There's nothing really that new under the sun. Okay, now let's see how it unfolds here. The heavenly creates man in the image of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Adam was formed in the mirrored image of God the Father. As God looked at Adam, he literally saw himself. Greatest compliment a father can say about his children. I see me. Well, most families go, I don't like that. Don't, don't, don't talk like that. I am my own individual. No, you're not. Even in science, no, you're not. I can DNA you all the way back to hundreds of years if you give me a specimen. No, you're not. You are not your own. I don't know where you're getting this idea. You are not your own. You are connected to a lineage for a reason. The term likeness in this passage carries the Hebrew meaning of shape or model. The reason why this is so significant is because that man was actually created to be a physical representation of the seed of the father. You see, if I'm of a good reputation and someone walks up to one of my kids or grandkids and says, man, you look just like your grandpa. That should be the greatest compliment of the grandchild. Oh, let me tell you about my grandpa. He was a man of God, served God, and loved and honored and blah, blah, blah. The word of testimony is passed to another generation. And that's how the word of God stays active and alive from generation to generation. Satan knows this to be true, so he terminates relationship in families so the word of testimony cannot get to the next generation. So there's no compliments. Well, you're just like your dad. Well, thank you. Sons are to be in the likeness of their fathers. It is a healthy idea in principle. And in our generation today, children work diligently to be opposite, opposing, murderous. It comes from the Hebrew word murderous. Opposite is murderous. Opposite of the image of God, murderous. Opposite of the image of my father, murderous. Opposite of the image of you see what's happening? Murderous. Likeness is God. Opposite is of the enemy. And it's everywhere. The enemy has perfectly established what I'm talking about. Everywhere. Everyone has to have their own opinions. Their own design. Their own whatever. Everyone. unless they're submitted to God. So opposite of their fathers, they repel the idea that they are in the image or likeness of their fathers. This is one of Satan's most successful ventures as the father of lies. He himself dares to call himself an Abba. Think about that. Satan dares to call himself an Abba Layon, 
which is like a lion, which is a lie, which is a roaring statement of I am. That's what he's doing. And Jesus himself called him the father of lies. You're a lion, all right. But you are shouting out what does not belong to you. Man's flesh tends to worship images. Check your jewelry out. Check the type of glasses you wear. The type of, you know, style for your hair. To None of these things are sin. Unless they become worshipped. The only way to find out if something is an image that is being worshipped by the person is to take it from them. Temporarily or long term. That's how you find out if there's worship going on of graven imagery. So since the enemy is well aware of the fact that man is created in the image of God and the children are formed in the image of their fathers, this makes a perfect venue for Satan to establish the sin of idolatry. Now, I don't know about you, but I usually think of idolatry as getting down, kissing the toenails of some statue or waiting for one of them to bleed or something. That's what I think of when I think of idolatry. That's only one of the definitions of idolatry. The plan is simple. Since Satan wants to play the role of father in mankind's lives, which was accomplished through deceiving Adam and Eve into eating of the fruit of I must know. The fruit from the tree of knowledge is actually translated out of the fruit of I must know. Who said that? What, what did they say exactly? Why did they say that? When you hear people talking like this, it's God calls it gossip. Speaking from the tree of knowledge is gossip. To know is the fruit unto death in knowledge. It's best not to know what the person said about you. Believe me. Knowledge inherited requires action. And action usually requires separation if it's from that tree. I gotta know! Said he show thyself approved to handle accurately the word of God. That's not the kind of knowing we're talking about. That's of the other tree. This kind of knowing is, well, what would they say? Do they, do they like me? They don't like me. Why? What did I ever do? It's a trap. I am okay with the fact that 99.9% .9 of the world hates my guts because I am so bold with speaking the truth. I would rather be hated by 99.9% .9 of man and appreciated and loved and embraced by God. See what I'm saying? I want to walk through those gates to see the everlasting glow of my Savior husband's face and say, well done, my faithful bride. 
I know they hated you. I know they despised you. I know they rejected you. But you would not do anything but preach the truth. That's what I want to hear. I want to go out in a blast of God's glory. But He has said, you will be hated for this. People don't preach this stuff anymore. They don't. They preach independence and self-love and self-this and self-that and self-help and self-this. So much self-love. I hate myself. Do you understand that? I hate myself. Jesus said, He who hates his life will... No. He who hates his life will... Gain it. He who loves his life will lose it. I hate me. I am nothing. He is everything. I, I, I do continue to go and eat some of that fruit, which makes me sick, but I do it. But I don't want to live there as a lifestyle. The hating of the self, wish I had the diagram to put up here, because that literally is the series that we are going to go through here. The self-life is the, the Adamic part of our lives, or the trash that was left behind after we got saved. It's bad patterns, bad habits. It's all the stuff that looks unsaved. When I got saved... I was given a new spirit, a new life. But see, it's still in this old shell. So I have some old stuff hanging around, and I have my new life in Christ Jesus. He wants me to make choices from my new life in Christ. But this old patterns, this old habits, this, these old thoughts tend to lead me to the tree of knowledge for some more pleasure fruit, which are not really pleasurable. Does that help? Here's our primary Hebrew words that are mentioned for idolatry. Means nothingness, vanity, a thing of nothing, terror, a, a fright, horror, shame, shameful things, filth, impurities, dung, that's poopy, is what that is. Likeness, a shadow, uh, similitude, and I'll recap these here in a minute, a figure, a form, statue, sun images, devices, which is where we get divisiveness, a graven image, molten image, just images in general. All of these can be different ways that God is communicating idolatry. So, when we look at, for example, a thing of nothing, if someone is down on themselves because they don't understand the creation of God that they are, it's called in the world today low self-image. That's what I would say is a duh. 
So what Satan has done in our psychobabble society is he has taught putting classes from Sunday school all the way to our universities to teach people that there's somebody, there's something. So what it does is it forms self-idolatry. When God says he who thinks he's nothing or he who hates himself gains, but he who loves himself loses eternally, actually, it says. Satan comes along and goes, well, I can twist that all up. So he does. He has built into our society a self-love deception. Terror. There's more money made on horror flicks. Terror, frightening people from jumping out of airplanes all the way to sitting in front of a movie that costs you 12 to $14 to have yourself frightened. Then there's all kinds of stuff in society that has caused you to shame yourself. Do you see what he has done? He's taken the full Hebrew list of idolatry and he has very carefully crafted it into our society so that we will think what is good is actually evil and what is evil is actually good. So all these people running around demanding to have their own self-sufficient lives is about as evil as you can get. And it worked. He did a very refined job. I will give him that. Satan wants mankind to view themselves as nothingness before our maker. Once Adam as the father began to view himself as nothing, he began striving to be something according to an image. That was different from God. He started to become vain. As soon as a man begins to struggle with vanity, he becomes a thing of nothing. Does anyone want to quote Galatians 6.3? He who thinks he's... He who thinks he's something, when he's nothing, deceives himself. That is what makes the world go around today, is people thinking they're something. From music careers to whatever, you just name it. They're all trying to prove there's something. And God is after proving that they are nothing aside from him. So his plan worked. It'll come to an end. Believe me. God is going to rub this somethingness into the face of Satan's nothingness real soon. And he will go to the pit knowing exactly that he is nothing. Words of contempt, which Hebrew is tempting other men. So if you are a contempting type of person, you are literally acting as the enemy to tempt someone in a conversation. You want to trip them up. It's very satanic. So if you are filled with contempt, you are tempting someone like Satan does. You are functioning out of the image of Satan if you're content or can be held in content by God. That's all he wants. That's the bottom line of what he wants out of you. Just to have you be a tempter like him. That's it. Once you arrive at being a person filled with contempt, you're like him. He's arrived. But once you're a forgiving, loving person, 
you're like God. And that's done through Christ. <laughs> is, is it? I think it's pretty simple. But Satan doesn't want us to catch on to this. So man now becomes an active part of the enemy's plan of terror. Man becomes a helper to the father of lies. Abba Lion. And this is the exact entry point of fear. Soon as someone starts functioning in contempt, fear enters their hearts and paralyzes them in daily decisions. They're afraid of driving. They're afraid of walking certain places. They're afraid of talking to certain people. They're afraid of whatever. When someone suffers with fear, they're confessing to me they are tempters of men. That's the connection I make in my mind. So I don't go after the fear. Give them a self-help book on fear. I go after their sin of functioning of being content or held in contempt. And the only way to do that is to show them the true image of God. It's a beautiful thing. Once man is filled with fear, he hides and becomes a servant of shame. They sit in their lonely places, whether it's their car, whether it's their house, whether it's their business, whether it's their churches, and they hide out because of their shame. You'll never, you'll never leave that place. I'm sorry, you won't. Once fear has accomplished this, you'll never leave it. You will die in your shame unless Jesus Christ comes and delivers you. It's the only way out. No self-help program will get a person out of this. Even our surveys prove that from 12-stepping to 13-stepping to whatever many steps you want to throw in there, our surveys actually prove once a person enters this realm, they can't get out. And I say, Amen. Because only Jesus Christ can reach into that desperate, shamed soul and say, I am your deliverer. No more self-help books. No more... I can do it. No more I'm something. No more standing in front of the mirror and putting plastic on. I am your deliverer. And they say, yes, sir, because they now understand the lineage of authority. We're just back in the garden. We're being restored back to the hierarchy of the garden. Gileam, which is dung, is a Hebrew word that reveals the condition of man once he decides to serve an idol. However, of course, dung, or poopy, is the lowest form of filth known to mankind, which clearly de describes how God the Father views Satan. That is one of his 13 names, dung. Now the enemy has man thinking and functioning like himself, in his own likeness, an exact counterpart. This is where we get the word similitude. It means image. Now that Satan's eyes, in, now in Satan's eyes, he has successfully moved man from the image of God to the image of the beast. As a result of this deception, man now actively forms or fashions idols, surrogate fathers, which he believes to be the image of God. 
And if you want to call it a lucky charm, good luck. Because it's idolatry and you're putting sorcery into that object. Whether it is a little rabbit's foot you're hanging on to, or you're looking at a picture on the wall every morning when you get up. You're putting sorcery into that picture. It's tempting God. That's all he wants out of you. Put sorcery into that image. Put sorcery into that rabbit's foot. Put sorcery into the, your, lucky, your lucky shoes. Put sorcery into your, 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 your favorite little shirt. Put sorcery into it. Because Satan knows once you put sorcery into it, it will control you because it will become a surrogate father. I know this is sobering and it affects absolutely every single one of us. Since Satan is a god of the external, things that man can see, Satan now pushes man to establish memorials, images of the dead, in the form of statues. Why do we not know where Christ is buried? You say, oh, we do too know where he is buried. No, we don't. Christ did not, and he literally used man to block the writing of his uh, and places of his events. He said, let the dead bury the dead. He did not want fancy monuments and tours around his dead stone. He wanted everyone focused on the living life, the resurrected life that he is. And what do we do? We make billions and billions and billions of dollars off of dead people. Elvis was buried here. Well, you want a blade of grass? You want a little rock from the grave? Because what that happens is we're, we're putting sorcery into it. He's dead. And he's in heaven. At least I believe he was saved. He's no longer there. But we're stuck here. And we don't like thinking of death. We don't like thinking of the end. So we keep everything alive from stones to... And we pay billions of dollars to go tour them. I don't want to go to Israel to tour dead things. I want to go to Israel to see the life that's coming to Israel again. All of the whole story is going to end up in the same place it started. I want to stand there and go, oh, this is it. This is where it's, it's all going to finish and I'm going to be here. And I'm going to have a first row seat for all the rest of the Bride of Christ. Not, oh, I touched the rock this time. Is that it? Yeah, I think that's the rock. You're just getting germs from the last guy that touched it. <laughs> and, you know, about 3,000 people, generations before you. So, I mean, seriously, Satan has really put some clever things together for us. Just go check out your average cemetery. Now, what does all this have to do with family and manhood? Well, it's going to be starting our series, actually. But this word right here, teraphim, means family idol. 
And God wants us to be freed from idols, so He is the God of our family, our clan. But He wants Satan wants to get these family idols inside the family and have us argue and fuss and division and divisiveness over theology and theology and oology and all the ologies that we are lost with the simple facts of where we came from. A Russian leader said this, the way to conquer America is to get them to forget their past. And they'll eat out of our hands. And I don't know if you've noticed or not, but we're one decision away from communism. Ten years ago when we used to preach that, we had people get up and leave the auditorium. They were so insulted by that. Today, if they're listening to a little bit of news, we are one decision away from communism. The number one fight in America since day one. All because some bright leader who had a mark on his forehead said, you want to win America? You want to take America? Get them to forget their past. So what they do? They started sending Russians in by the dozens. Getting educated, rewriting our history books. Blah, blah, blah. Christianity is lost. And now, they can be led anywhere. Once you don't know who you are, or where you came from, well, you can establish a phony or temporary healing agent in that land. Socialism is your answer. And there are people buying it. Line, hook, and th sinker. So Satan wants people, therapy, places, comfort refuges, or things, addictions, that take the place of God being the Jehovah Rapha, the true healer. Once the enemy gets the teraphim in the tribe of the family unit, he will most likely be able to rule the entire house, the clan, and future generations to come. You have to decide what family idols are in your house. I can't. I can only decide on my own household. And they have to be tossed out and burned, not sold at a garage sale for another person to buy the idol. It has to be removed. And sometimes there are spiritual beliefs, so those are a little more difficult to understand. So you need help by those who have a better clarity of bad beliefs. But if you're independent and you do your own thing and you're forming your own religion, you're forming your own family, you're forming your own, your own, your own, you'll never get this. You will be a product of teraphim to the very end of your life. There's no way around it. Independence breeds a manifestation of this spirit of teraphim. The war between the images is not a new concept. It has been going on since Satan was removed from heaven. We as God's children need to understand that the enemy works diligently to put idols in each family unit. In our studies over the next several weeks, we will detail how the enemy gets this job done. Well, for now, 
Know that God the Father is aware of the deceptive ways of his foe, and he wants us to lean on what he says is true about us, our true identity in Christ. Once you have that, you can be slapped, kicked, teased, insulted, and you'll still smile. Because the more you break down this earthly body and this earthly mind, the more glory you can get back from God. And that's why guys like Stephen, you can literally put a match to them after they've been beaten by rocks. Torch them, and they're literally on fire, and you hear them talking to Jesus. Do you realize that the direct first disciple of John, Jesus' half-brother, what was his name again? I always forget his name. No. Um. Yeah. Anyway, history proves that he wouldn't burn at the stake. He supervised the seven churches after John died. And he couldn't burn. He wouldn't burn. They tried burning him seven times, which I thought was an interesting number, and he wouldn't burn. He would just keep preaching from the stake. So what they did is they, they took him off the stake and the elders of the church stabbed him to death to get him to shut up. That's the kind of God I serve. That's the kind of God I'm going to spend eternity with who has the power over this kind of stuff because, because John and his disciples all the way down to us being in this room today, if we know our identity in Christ, nothing can destroy that. Nothing. Not fire, not insults, no form of persecution. Father, I want to thank you for the privilege of knowing who we are in Christ. To have the life of Christ inside of us, Father, is such an honor it's such a privilege. But Father, there are so many of your babies that are running around still acting like they're in the Adamic world. All of us are affected by that, Father. And I pray for a revival of our souls. A true, true soul cure that'll go on for eternity. May judgments fall from our minds today and embrace the truth you have given us. None of us lay claim to them, but only, Father, by walking after the truth in and through the power of the Holy Spirit, which makes us literally reunited to our husband. Thank you for this message, Father, and I pray that it would transform our minds in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us today. Heartland Family Fellowship is a local church plant here in Sterling, Kansas. Our fellowship includes the family and all levels of worship. Our mission is to bring families back together spiritually, relationally, and physically. Many people ask us, what does that really mean, or how does it benefit them? Well, it means that you can bring your entire family to any of Heartland's events. 
and we will work to keep the focus on God, Jesus Christ, and the body of Christ without dividing up the family at the front door. If you're interested in learning more about our fellowship or other family-integrated fellowships, please log on to our website. That is www.heartlandfellowships.org. We thank you for joining us. Get yourself in a bind, lose a shirt off your back. Need a floor, need a couch, need a bus fare. Man, I've been, man, I've been.